there is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. you to find your place there again, if you will, in John chapter number 17. There are many prayers in Scripture. I love the great prayers of the Bible. In fact, one of the greatest studies you could ever make is the prayers of the Bible. I love the prayers of Paul. They're Holy Spirit-inspired prayers. They're rich and full. But if you want a great prayer to study and go back to again and again, it is this prayer in John 17 because this prayer is the prayer of the Lord Jesus. This blows my mind. But when the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth, He came as fully God and fully man. He was not 50-50. He was 100-100. And He was not more of one than the other. He was all God and all man. He was perfect God and perfect man. He was divinity robed or clothed in humanity and because of that, while he was on earth, we have many of the recorded prayers of Jesus to the Heavenly Father. What an example for us. And not only an example for us, but think of this. If prayer was necessary for the perfect man, how much more for every one of us? Any perfect people here this morning? I'm just curious. Anybody perfect here today? I don't think so. One half a hand over here. Your wife will straighten you out later. But the truth of the matter is, now there are no perfect people. We're all sinners. And we need God. And the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect man, stayed in constant communion with his Father. And John 17 is one of the examples of it. Let's read just a little. May we? John 17, verse number 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said Father the hour has come glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee as thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him and this is life eternal that they might know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world thine they were and thou gavest them me and they've kept thy word now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee for I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me and they have received them and have known surely that I came out from thee and they have believed that thou didst send me I pray for them 
I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. I want to pause and say, thank you, Jesus, for praying. Thank you for praying then, and thank you for praying now. Isn't it wonderful to realize we have a praying Savior? In fact, one of the most famous texts in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, says that he made intercession for the transgressors. And I've often pondered that. When did he make intercession for the transgressors? And the answer is, all the time. All the time. His whole life, in one sense, was an intercession. There's one God, and there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. His whole life was an intercession. He died praying. Look at him hanging on that cross. And agonist into the cry that pierced that terrible moment. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He, he died praying. He lived praying. And thank God at this moment he lives again praying. He ever liveth making intercession for you and for me. It's almost like when you come to John 17 that these intercessory words lead you to his intercessory work. In fact, in John 17, Jesus is on his way to the cross. He's on his way to Calvary to bleed and die. I might say to you that the only way the Father could answer the prayer Jesus made in John 17 is the Lord Jesus had to shed his blood and die for our sins. It is on his merit that these requests get answered. In fact, when you get to the end of John 17, there is no amen. Why? Because Christ is the amen. We start our prayers the same way Jesus started, Father. But we end our prayers differently than Jesus ended them. There is no conclusion to this prayer. Why? He just went right on in the spirit of prayer into the work of intercession. But watch, when we end our prayers, how do we end them? In Jesus' name, amen. What are we saying when we pray in Jesus' name? We are saying we recognize, Father, that we don't deserve any of this and Jesus deserves all of this and it is on Christ's good name that we make this petition. I'm going to tell you, I'm just a sinner. That's all I am. I'm a dressed-up sinner. And I'm looking at a bunch of dressed-up sinners. Congratulations. But I'm going to tell you who Jesus is this morning. He is the Savior of sinners. When John Knox was dying as an old man, you remember Knox? <laughs> the queen feared his prayers. He was a man who had endured tremendous persecution and tremendous spiritual opposition. When John Knox was lying on his deathbed in 1572, he looked at his precious wife before he died and he said, get my Bible. And she got it. And he said, open my Bible to John 17. And lying on his deathbed, John Knox said, read me that prayer. And his sweet wife read the words that I just read to you to her dying husband. And some of John Knox's last words, he said, this was the scripture where I first cast my anchor. You know what I'd like us to do this week? I'd like us to cast our anchor in John 17. No, no, I'd like us to cast our anchor in the Christ of John 17. Because John 17, I'm sorry to tell you, is not really about the disciples or about us. It is ultimately and always about Jesus. This, this prayer of Christ, this high priestly prayer, my favorite prayer, reveals to us the ultimate prayer. What is the ultimate prayer? You know, we have lots of prayers. How many of you have prayed this morning? Just curious. Good. 
How many of you this past week prayed for anything specifically? Anybody see an answer to prayer? That's wonderful. By the way, if we prayed more specifically, we'd get more specific answers to prayer. We pray for lots of things. Sometimes we use prayer lists to help us remember, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But as I was reading and meditating in John 17 again this week, I noticed something. I noticed that though there are many requests, and there are, there are many things Jesus prayed for his disciples, there was one request that was the ultimate prayer. There was one theme that is woven throughout that seems to tie all the others together. In fact, it's very interesting to me. It's almost like it's the prayer that purifies all the other prayers. In other words, if you jump to the end of the prayer and just start praying things for people, you miss the great point of the prayer because somewhere. Did you notice where he started? Did you notice that this particular psalm or this particular prayer rather begins much like the model prayer does? How did the model prayer begin? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In other words, it was a Godward prayer. May I suggest to you this morning that all true prayer must be Godward prayer. Spurgeon said the prayers that God answers are the ones that begin with him. In other words, we find out what God wants, what God is worthy of, and we pray toward that. We, we get our prayers lined up with God's purpose. We, we get in step with the Holy Spirit of God and we say, Lord, all we want is what you want. And I tell you, when you begin to pray that way, you'll begin to see definite answers to prayer. There's a word, though, a word that's found at least eight times in this one prayer that is the ultimate. Did you notice it as we, as we read in the opening ten verses? Get your pen out. Would you get something to write with? I want you to mark it in your Bible. If you miss everything else I say today, please don't miss this. I'm going to read a little bit, and every time I stop, I want you to say the next word out loud. And when you say it, mark it in your Bible. Look at verse 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Circle that word in your Bible. Glorify thy son. That thy son also may what? There it is again. Glorify thee. Look at verse number 4. I have glorified thee on the earth. Look at verse 5. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Look at verse 10, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. Come to the end of the prayer. Look at verse 22. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. Look at verse 24. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my eight times. Eight times in one prayer. The divine repetition reveals the divine emphasis. Watch, please. Why did Jesus come? Somebody said, he came to save us from our sins. That's true. But ultimately, he's saving us from our sins for one reason. It is for the glory of God. And why did Jesus pray? Jesus prayed for one thing. Oh, he prayed for many things. But like pearls on a strand, they're all woven with this one glorious thread. What did Jesus pray for? He prayed that God would be glorified. And may I tell you ultimately what all of us should be praying right now? We should be praying for the glory of God. We should be desiring above all else the glory of God. In the Old Testament, Moses prayed, show me now thy glory that I may know thee. Watch. Not show me now thy glory so I can enjoy your glory. Not show me now thy glory so I can be entertained. Not, not show me now thy glory 
so that I can be somebody. No, no. Lord, show me your glory so I can know you better. I'm going to tell you what real revival is. It's a glimpse of the glory of God. And I'm going to tell you what it produces. It produces a deep knowledge of who God is. I do not care if you remember my name. I do not. And I do not care if you remember my sermons, and I don't care if you say, that was the greatest thing we've ever heard. Here's what I desire. Here's my prayer for this meeting. I'm praying that every one of us, preacher and people alike, would come more fully to recognize the glory of our great God. Because I'm going to tell you something. In dark days, we need a fresh glimpse of the glory of God. At first glance, it looks like Jesus' prayer begins. Glorify thy son. Somebody says, well, that's pretty selfish. Not if you're the son of God, it's not. See, because he's co-equal, co-existent, co-eternal with the heavenly father. When he's praying for the son to be glorified, he's praying for the father to be glorified. When he's praying for himself to get glory, he's praying for God to get glory. R.A. Torrey said, just because you pray for yourself doesn't mean it's a selfish prayer. It's why you pray for yourself. If you're praying for yourself and all you're really praying for is your own relief and comfort, that's a selfish prayer. But if you're praying for yourself and your ultimate goal and longing is this, oh God, I want you to get the glory in my life, then that ultimately is not a prayer for you. That's a prayer for God and that's a prayer God can answer. The ultimate prayer is a prayer for God's glory. And I would just say this, in reality, all glory is connected to God. Man has no glory except what God lets him have. And sometimes we get pretty enamored with people, don't we? You know something I've noticed? When I've gotten impressed with people, you ever been impressed with somebody? The closer I get to those people, the more I see their flaws. <laughs> it's a funny thing, but from a distance, some people look pretty glorious. And then you get up close to them and you think, ah, maybe not so much. Let me tell you about Jesus. It's the exact opposite. The closer you get to him, it's not flaws you see. It's his beauty you see. In fact, the nearer to Christ you come, the more of God's glory you see. And I want to pray right now, oh God, show us now your glory that we may know you. There's several different kinds of glory here. May I show them to you? Write them down. Here's the first one. Look in verse number 5. We're going all the way back, all the way back to the very beginning when time vanishes. Jesus says, and now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, watch it please, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So the first great glory here, at least in sequence of time, is the glory that Christ had before. Somebody said, you mean, you mean before Bethlehem? No, no, before Eden. You mean before his birth? No. No, I mean before the creation of the first man. Look at the verse, before the world was. Psalm 90 says, from everlasting to everlasting. Everlasting literally means vanishing point. Watch, take a trip. <clears throat> Let's go all the way back in time till time vanishes. I don't know what's on the other side of this door. I guess something's back here. Let's go all the way back to where you cannot see to where time vanishes. And when everything passes away, guess who's there? God is there. Oh, wait a minute. Let's go all the way to the other end. Let's go out the other door. Let's go to the end of time when everything else vanishes away. Watch this, please. And when everything else is gone, guess who will still be there? Our God is still there. 
From vanishing point to vanishing point, God is God. Let me tell you about the Lord Jesus. Jesus didn't begin at Bethlehem just like the Holy Spirit didn't begin on the day of Pentecost. He is the eternal Son of God. He had no beginning. He is Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, first and last. Let me tell you what this glory is. This is the glory of the pre-incarnate Christ. Before he ever came to earth, before he ever took a body, and before Adam even had a body, Jesus Christ was in the glory with the Heavenly Father. You see, we add nothing to Christ and He takes nothing from us. Look, please, we get everything from Him because the only real glory is the glory of the eternal God. And so we have His glory before. That's not all. Back up one verse. Look at verse number 4. He said, I have glorified Thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. So there's not only the glory that Christ had before, but now there's the glory that Christ gave the Father while he was on the earth. You and I have good days and bad days, agreed? We have days where we do pretty well and days when we don't. We have our ups and downs. Our Lord had tribulation and difficulty and problems and is touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but from a moral standpoint, he never had his ups and downs. Because he's the perfect man. He fulfilled the law in every way. Watch this, please. And when Jesus Christ walked this planet for 33 and a half years, he walked it with a sinless life. Can you imagine never a sin? Tempted but yet without sin? Can you imagine that our Lord Jesus glorified the Father in every way? Watch this. In every way that we fail, he succeeded. In every way that we fall short, he exceeded expectation. Glorious Savior we have. Oh, I wish in days where men are a perpetual disappointment, people would get their eyes back on Jesus Christ. There is no disappointment in him. The best men are men at best, but Christ is more than a man. He is the sinless Son of God. The middle verse of our Bible says it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. And the very next verse says it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. How many of you know we've discovered that to be true? That even the leaders, even those you're supposed to be, the best men will let you down and disappoint you. But Jesus never fails. Praise God. He's not the prince. He's the king and he never fails. And so we have not only the glory he had before, but the glory he gave back to the Father through his complete obedience, through the complete revelation of truth, and ultimately, ultimately, through his death. That's right, through his death. He who thought it not robber to be equal with God made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. And Isaiah 53 says that the father was pleased with his sacrifice. He was pleased with his obedience. The glory of the cross. People didn't think of the cross as glorious. No, they, matter of fact, the word glory never came to mind with the cross. It was gory. It was blood. It was shame. I say to you, look at that cross. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. Why is that? Because 
There is a glory in the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, show us now thy glory that we may know thee. The glory that he had before, the, the glory that he gave to the Father while he was here on earth, that's not all. Back up to the first verses. Look at verse 1 again. Father, the hour has come. I, I, can't, I can't miss this. Stop just a second. Pause. Will you give me a parenthesis? How many of you give me a parenthesis? All right, quick parenthesis. All through Jesus' ministry, he said, the hour has not yet come. The hour has not yet come. The hour has not yet come. Remember that? I mean, from the very first miracle, he said to his mother, woman, the hour has not yet come. It was the divine appointment hour, the, the hour of his sacrifice, the hour of Calvary. And now he says the hour is come. God's a God of perfect timing. His divine appointments are always right. But I'd never pondered this until this week. This is wonderful. We want to talk about the hour. What is an hour? An hour is a set period of time. How many of you have lived long enough to know that an hour does not last forever? Yes? How many of you know even if the preacher preaches an hour, it may be a long hour, but it's not going to last forever? Okay, watch this just a second. When Jesus said the hour had come, was it a set hour? Oh, yes, it was a set hour. Was it a sad hour? Yes, it was a sad hour. Was it a suffering hour? Oh, yes, it was a suffering hour. But don't miss this. No hour lasts forever. Oh, that encourages me. The hour of his humiliation came in a moment, but it did not last. On the other side of that humiliation, there is the exaltation of the Son of God. And some of you are going through an hour right now and you're wondering if this hour is ever going to be finished and if this season is ever going to be over. I want you to know that as surely as the Father brought His Son through that hour, He's going to bring you through the hour you're living through right now. Oh, but don't miss it. Look again at verse 1. Glory that thy Son also may glorify thee. So don't miss it, please. There's the glory that Christ had before. There's the glory that he gave back to the Father in his life. But then, number three, there's the glory that Christ was given in the end. I love this. Jesus has not even gone to the cross yet, and he's already looking to the other side of the cross. The writer of Hebrews talks about the joy that was set before him. That's how he endured the cross. How do you get through the hour by looking at the next hour? How, how do you get through the cross by looking to the empty tomb? How do you deal with the suffering that is staring you in the face, you look beyond at the victory that is going to follow. And so Christ is praying his way to the end. Hey, friend, why don't you pray your way to the finish line? Stop your grumbling and complaining. Get your eyes off of men and off of yourself and get it back on Jesus. And do what Jesus did. Pray your way through to the very end. What does he pray for ultimately? Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee as thou hast given him power over all flesh. By the way, that's profound. Look at that. We think the world's out of control. People are crazy. Anybody notice everybody's lost their mind lately? But look at it. The Bible says in the end, Christ is going to have power over all flesh. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess someday that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But watch this. Look at the end of the verse. This is us. That he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. I love the divine exchange here. Watch. The Father gives Christ to you as his gift. Are you glad he gave you Christ as a gift? But Jesus refers to the reverse of that. He says the Father gave you to him. Never dawn on you that you are the Father's gift to Christ? Look at me, all you saved sinners. Talking to you, all you saved sinners. 
You are part of what made it worth Christ going to the cross. Jesus looks at saved sinners and glories. And his sacrifice was not in vain. Two Moravian missionaries heard about an island of the sea that had never heard the gospel. They'd never had missionaries there because nobody from the outside ever went onto that island except for slaves. So you know what they did? True story. You can read it about it in the history books. They sold themselves into slavery. And on the day they boarded that ship, that slave ship, to go to that island they would never return from. And the people, their friends, were weeping and wailing. Those two young men turned around, raised their hand, and people who were there, eyewitnesses, said, they said this, May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus deserves all the glory that comes through the salvation of sinners because Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. What is this glory? Look at verse 3. This is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. By the way, that word know is in the continual action. The word that's used there is a growing knowledge. I like that. I'm glad you've been saved. If you haven't been saved, you better start there today. Trust him as your Savior. But if you have been saved, I want you to know the knowledge of God is not an event. It's a process. It's not a day. It's a journey. It is a continual growing knowledge of God. Oh, Lord, show us thy glory that we may know thee. We want to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. What is the glory that Christ had in the end? It's the glory of the resurrection. He came out of that tomb. I was reading this morning in Acts, not for you but for me, just devotionally. I was reading in Acts 2 this morning, and that little phrase captured me that the Bible says he came out of the grave because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. What's the one thing it was not possible for Christ to do? It was not possible for him to stay dead. It wasn't impossible. You know why it's not possible? Because he is life. You can't keep life dead. So when Jesus came out of that grave alive forevermore, somebody said, that's strange. No, it's miraculous, but it's not strange because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Oh, the glory of his resurrection. And then if that were not enough, what of the glory of his ascension? Stand outside of Jerusalem on that mountain and watch as the Lord Jesus starts just rising up into the air with his hands raised. What's he doing? He's blessing the disciples as he goes. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. By the way, I think the last time they saw him, his hands were raised in blessing. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Jesus' hands are still raised in blessing, and he's still praying for us at this moment. He's received up into the clouds. Oh, the glory of the ascension of Christ. And then the glory of his exaltation. When he got on the other side of the cloud, what happened? I'll tell you what happened. The psalmist said uh, that he walks through the gates into the celestial city. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Who is this King of glory? It is our King of kings and Lord of lords. It's the one they said was the king of the Jews, but he was much more than that. He's the king of eternity. Is he your king today? It's the glory of his exalted place at the Father's right hand. And then it's the glory of your salvation. And our Christ glories today 
and revels and rejoices in the fact that sinners now have a way to God because of what Christ did for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. Oh, Lord, show us more of that glory that we may know thee. This is the ultimate prayer, you see. It's all about the glory of God. It's what the whole book is about from Genesis to Revelation. It's what your whole life is about. If you live and die and know nothing of God's glory, friends, you've missed it all. Make all the money you want to and build a bigger house and buy a newer car and wear nice clothes. But if you never know the glory of God, friend, you've missed everything both for this world and for the world to come. When Moses went up on the mountain to meet with God, he came off that mountain and the glow on his face was so bright they said, you're going to have to cover up. We can't take that. You know what it was? It was just a little glimmer of the glory of God. When Peter, James, and John went up on the Mount of Transfiguration and Jesus just pulled back the garment for a minute and showed just a little glimpse into his glory, they said, whoo, let's build three tabernacles and stay here for a while. Why is that? Because there is nothing like the glory of our great God. Oh, glory to God. He's worthy of it. And so look at it carefully. you got the glory Christ had before, the glory the Father, he gave the Father while he was on earth, the glory he was given in the end, but notice a fourth glory. Come back to the end of the prayer. Look at verse 22. This is where it gets really good for us. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them. Does your Bible say that? Hmm. How about verse 24? Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. Oh, don't miss this one, church. Number four, there's the glory that Christ gives us. Now, there is a glory he does not share. The Bible says he won't share his glory with anybody. What does that mean? It means you're never, and you should take no credit for anything. All glory should be deflected and redirected to Jesus because we're not worthy of it. In me, that is in my flesh, Paul said, dwelleth no good thing. So if there's any good thing in me, it must be Jesus. It can't be me. But watch this. There is a glory that he gives. Could I challenge you this morning? Start making a list of all the things God's given you. And I'm not talking about material stuff. Mm -mm. I'm not talking about the stuff money can buy and then people can steal. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the things you leave behind when you die. No, no. I'm not talking about things that you, that you have an accident or rust gets on it or something decays and corrupts. I'm talking about what money can't buy and death can't take away, what the world can't give you and no one can rob from you. I'm talking about the true spiritual riches in Christ Jesus. You know, in the last few months, I've heard a lot of people talking about all the things they've lost. Almost like that's the main thing now. And there's no doubt things have been lost. Health has been lost. Certain liberties lost. Lots of things lost. So make yourself a list and Talk about all the things that have been lost. But let me tell you something. In the end, for the child of God, we've got to stop thinking about what is lost. We've got to start thinking again about what can never be lost. Instead of bemoaning for the rest of your days what didn't turn out your way, why don't you and I go back to what God has given us? Did you know, did you know that 17 times in John 17 some use of the word give is found? That's interesting, isn't it? 17 times in John 17. Almost like the Lord wants us to get this. Like he's trying to say, do you understand, people, what I've given you? Do you understand, disciples, what I'm leaving you? Do you understand, followers, what I've made accessible to you? What is it? 
God has given His own glory. We now have a share, praise God, as partakers, a share of His love, the glory of His oneness, the glory of acceptance through His blood. We get in the family. That's glorious, friend. Hold your place here. Everybody put your left hand on John 17 real fast. We're coming right back. Turn over to near the end of your New Testament to 2 Peter just a moment. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1. This verse just keeps coming in my mind. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that have called us to what church huh called us to glory and virtue whereby verse 4 are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust watch this we get to share in God's glory now and if that were not enough when we leave this world and go to the world to come, guess where we go to? We go into the glory of God forever. Now, you know, you can't beat being a Christian. Think about this. Jesus comes to live in your house now, and then you get to live at his house for eternity. How many of you would agree that's a pretty good deal? Now, let's say it the way that the psalmist David said it in Psalm 23. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. All the days of my life. Let's pause and just say, glory. And, if that were not enough, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's the worst thing that can happen to a Christian into the glory. They step out of this gory world into the glory world. This is the glory that Christ gives us. But there's one more. Don't miss the last one because God turns it around on us. Go back to John 17, would you please? It's the last verse we read together today. It's right after Jesus said he prayed for us. You know, everybody wants the blessing. We just don't all want to obey, do we? Verse 9, I pray for them, he said. This always puzzled me, Pastor. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. I used to thought, well, that's kind of mean. I mean, he prays for the believers, but not for the world. I think I've come to understand something from this verse. Do you know why he was praying for the church at this moment? Because he understood that the only hope for this world was in the church. Look, please. How is Christ going to touch the world through these men? These men, Acts says, will turn the world upside down. You want to see this community turned upside down? Would you like to see this city come to God? Would you like to see our nation pointed to Christ? Yes, yes, and yes. I'm going to tell you where it's got to start. It's got to start with God's people. Judgment must begin at the house of God, and that's why Jesus' first and ultimate prayer begins in the church, and then, like a ripple effect, it has an effect on the whole world. Here's our verse. Verse 10, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. Would you circle that in your Bible? Here's the, here's the fifth one, and it's all connected, you see. There is the glory that Christ had before. There's the glory he gave the Father through his life. There was the glory that was given Christ in the end. There's the glory that God then gives to us. 
But ultimately then there is to be a glory that we give back to him. So I'm going to ask you the most personal thing I've asked you all morning. Is Jesus getting any glory from your life? Any glory? Do you think your life as it stands at this moment makes him smile? Do you think your life offers to a worthy God any worship? Because Jesus looked at those men. By the way, they had their failures. Next chapter, they all forsake him and flee. Peter even cusses in the next chapter. I hate to tell you that. He swears and says, I don't even know the man. Now, we're not saying we're perfect. Watch this, please. The only glory is the reflected glory of God. But watch, when we give glory to God, what we're really doing is we're saying, God, you've been so good to me. You've blessed me so. I want to bless you in return. We become so stinking selfish. We love the gifts and forget the giver. We enjoy the blessings and forget the blesser. And Jesus looked at these men that had invested three and a half years of his ministry in and says to the Father, Father, I am glorified in them. In their faith, Christ was glorified. When you believe, Christ is glorified. In their obedience, Christ was glorified. When we obey, Christ is glorified. Look, in their giving of the truth to others, Christ would be glorified. When we make him known, the one that we know, Christ is glorified. I ask again, is Christ getting any glory from your life? You know how much glory he's worthy of? All of it. And here's the little word that really, would you look at it? The end of verse 10. Glorified, what's the next word? It's a little preposition. Sorry to use a dirty word, kids, in church on Sunday. It's a preposition. Even the preposition is a revelation. Look at it. Glorified what? In them. Watch, please. It is not enough for Christ to be in you. If you're saved, he's in you. But the one who's in you says, now I want to be glorified in you. And I think we've got a whole lot of people today who are content to say, oh, I've been saved. Christ lives in me. And yet from heaven's vantage point, the Lord Jesus is saying, yes, but I saved you for so much more than that. And I had so much more I wanted to give you and share with you. And so much more I wanted you to accomplish. I wonder, is Jesus getting his prayer answered in your life today? Is Christ being glorified in you? Because that, dear friends, is the ultimate prayer. If this Bible message has been used of God in your life or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit. And don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.